0: All right, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. As always, I have with me the beautiful, hunky, some would say Thor-looking Alex Friedman, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. Uh, We are today going to be talking about rest. So what's important with rest, different rest intervals for working out, why you actually need rest when you work out. You can't just jump right back in after 10 seconds off of a hard set, Um, as well as different resting, different injuries. Should you do it? Should you not do it? A lot of people say you should. I would counter that argument and say that you should move the joints. So Alex, let's talk about some rest with grappling as well as the weight room.
1: Right. And I think right now within the kind of, Pendulum that is health and wellness, strength and conditioning, high performance. Um, rest and recovery is becoming more and more popular, or it's kind of at its uh, peak at its zenith, right? Because that's all the, the rage is how can you better recover? How can you better rest? And, and that's been like that for a couple of years. But again, it's at its peak right now. It's a fad. And I think we need to understand rest for where it's at. And then, um, and Austin's going to get into this, but we need to optimally load, right? So, where's that sweet spot? where you're working as hard as you can, getting as much benefit as you can, but then also recovering from that work so that next time you can go that hard again and you're not going to be impaired due to you know overstressing continually or chronically. So we're going to kind of hit it with all facets, whether it's in between sets, in between workouts, in between events, in between injuries. Um, it's just like, where does rest fit in and how can we fit in um, within our whole training scheme?
0: So go into the weight room, Alex, why do we need, why do we build in specific rest? Cause a lot of people don't understand
1: that. Right. And I've worked with a million, you know, and like, and fighters and MMA athletes get a really bad rap for this because all they want to do is go hard. Right. And like, and I, I was guilty of that. I think Austin for sure was guilty of that. It was like, That's I'm true. not out of breath, drenched with sweat, you know, you know, working my ass off. It's not a good workout right? Um, yeah. And th- that unfortunately is, is kind of a common thought. But as a coach, we need to explain why we need these rest intervals and why not everything we do in the weight room is back to back to back, boom, boom, boom. Um, so me explaining that is um, yeah. when we train different qualities, we need specific rest so that we can utilize the intensity that we need during those qualities. So if I want a low intensity emphasis and our emphasis is maybe like aerobic conditioning, there's not gonna be a lot of rest, right? We're gonna continuously go. But in on the contrary, if my emphasis is alactic power, where we're sprinting all out or throwing a punch or working to move as much weight as we can as fast as we can, and that's a four to five second go at max effort, I'm gonna give you a lot of rest because we need to refuel those creatine stores and we need to get back able to produce that intensity again, right? So if we did Let's say we're doing an airdyne sprint for six seconds all out. There's only so many of those you can do with 30 second rest and stay at a super high output. If I give you, you know, two, three minute, four minute rest, depending on where your conditioning level is at, you might and you probably will be able to get back to that same threshold or that same amount of output. So it's all about specific outputs, specific training effects that you're going after. And then how can we match the rest to emphasize that energy system, emphasize that strength quality as we train.
0: Yeah. So I get a lot, like I get a lot of fighters. They talk about like 10 seconds on 20 seconds off. Right. And that's, that's great, but you need to know what that's used for. Cause that's that and the reason why people say that that's a setting on the echo bike. 10, they just click it and then they do that. So like it, you got to know what you're doing there. The goal there, you got to know that you're not hitting a hundred percent output when you do 10 seconds on 20 seconds off. After most likely your third go, right. most likely after your second go, you're not hitting hundred percent. So if your goal is to do as many Watts as possible, every single rep, that doesn't make a whole bunch of sense. If your goal is to try to have as high of output as possible while you fatigue the system, then that may be a good thing to do. But you got to know what you're doing,
1: right? Or minimal drop off in your watts, and, and I think that's that's a goal. Of the uh, sprint repeat test that we've we've done, or I did at the UFC uh, Performance Institute, but it's to try and sustain a high intensity. It's not to max it out every time, right? Um, and I actually wrote an, a blog article about this on robustphysicalprep.com. Um, my buddy and mentor. Tim Murray runs this site. And essentially what I was trying to boil down was what is just grinding and more work and more conditioning versus what is actually uh, targeted conditioning and actually going to give you a training effect. So knowing that training effect and then almost reverse engineering that scheme to get there is how we actually get a good rest interval and we can target and actually develop some type of specific adaptation rather than just go and go and go and work hard. And maybe you'll have the right conditioning by the end of the day. Right. So similar to what Austin says, the 1020s a setting on the Echo bike. There's a Tabata setting. And I hear a lot about Tabatas. <laughs> They've been um, popularized and I think mis- misnamed and uh, misexecuted executed for a while. If you're doing a Tabata, you are on the ground for 30 minutes after you're done with that four minutes.
0: What's a Tabata for the people listening?
1: Tabata is 20 seconds on of max high intensity effort, 10 seconds rest. And I mean, and that 10 seconds is barely anything. So a Tabata um, in my eyes, what what I see get performed all the time is like, I'm going to do kettlebell swings for 20 seconds and then take 10 seconds off Or I'm going to use this 50 pound kettlebell and do goblet squats. Like a Tabata is Bur- immense.
0: I see yeah. burpee Tabatas yeah. all the time.
1: Awful a horrible exercise selection, but a Tabata is like, is not um, kettlebell swinging with a 50 pound. A Tabata is front squatting with 150 pounds, right? A Tabata is high intensity and high endurance for that four minutes. So um, I, I, I'm going to blank on the research right now, but the original Tabata research was done with something like 150% load or on a spin bike. So it's like cranking the pedals, like barely getting them moving.
0: Almost like the Wingate test. Yeah.
1: Similar. But, um, again, that's just popularized because it's a set workout or preset workout that yeah. makes you tired. Right. So instead of the goal being tired, let's, let's not just go somewhere to get tired. That's kind of the CrossFit mentality. Let's actually train for a specific adaptation. That's going to enhance your MMA game or your fight um, performance.
0: Well, and so bring it into that. What would you suggest to people? Because a lot of preset fighting clocks, a lot of preset jujitsu or boxing clocks, like you have one minute on, you only get 10 seconds off. Mm-hmm. You got five minutes on, you get one minute off because guess what? That's what, that's what an MMA round is. Right. What would you suggest? Because like there's zero in my mind, zero chance you're fully recovering. And granted, yeah. that's what happens in a fight. But again, all of these skills are trainable. You want people to during sparring operate at hundred percent as much as possible. Right. That's the goal. Okay.
1: Well, I mean, I think wrestling practice, jujitsu practice, MMA sparring rounds, like they are designed with the end result in mind with the competition and they create really good grinders, like guys that can just roll for two and a half hours at some suboptimal pace or like, and guys that really get really good at it. Like we had a couple guys in our UWL room sustained a really good pace for two hours. But when they got on the mat, right? When they got on the mat, they didn't have that higher gear. I mean, that was kind of the pace that they wrestled at and it worked well for Dustin, but, um, you need to have that high, uh, high intensity explosiveness in some capacity if you're going to reach the top of your sport, right. Especially in MMA where wrestling is maybe a little bit less emphasized on the explosive part.
0: Well, and when I talk about this with coaches, I equate it to like sport specific training in the weight room. Yeah, Cause that's essentially what it is. You're just, it just, the difference between that is energy systems in the wrestling room or uh, in the ring, whatever it may be versus the weight room. When, if what they're doing when with five minutes on one minutes off for every live go in existence is that they're just, that's the equivalent of, Oh, I need somebody to only do a Russian bag workout Mm -hmm. because they're a wrestler. Yeah. Like that's what I see just because it's in the wrestling practice to me doesn't mean that you don't have to be sports specific. You can be more general. You need to increase their their efficiency. The best way to increase their efficiency is to target different skills. If you're not trying to figure out how to target different skills, then you're, in my mind, behind the curve.
1: Hundred percent. We and I look at the, I look at like a continuum, and I, I put almost everything that I train on a continuum, whether it's general to specific, long duration to short duration, low intensity to high intensity, and then and it's just matching up those different continuums and seeing how they can best fit together. Um, I think you're missing the boat if you're running MMA or wrestling practice and you're exclusively doing the five-on, one-off or the or the three minutes on, two minutes off, or you just stick to that interval exclusively, right? There should be a system where it progresses and we emphasize different um, qualities and different energy systems as the season progresses or as we see what the team needs most or maybe like towards a peaking phase as we get to our end of the year uh, tournaments and matches. But there should be some system of, Progression and some system of quality emphasis, right? And maybe in the preseason, you're starting with some longer goes at a lower intensity. And then maybe it's drill work, maybe it's play wrestling, maybe it's something to establish a good aerobic foundation or just to get people wrestling more, get people grappling more. And then as we progress on, you get closer and closer into camp, maybe then we start putting the gas on a little bit, but then we also give more rest because the gas is on and the intensity is higher. And then eventually we work into more specific where we can go for five minutes on one minute off. And that should, towards the end, it can't be mostly emphasis, but if it's the emphasis year round, then in my opinion, again, you're just creating grinders. You're not really creating a put together athlete with a specific plan in mind.
0: Right. And then to play devil's advocate with myself, like think about conditioning on an air bike. There is zero places to hide on an air bike. You're doing one skill. It's a univariable movement pedal on the air bike. And if you stop pedaling, you suck that that's what's going on in wrestling. Like anybody that's wrestled for a long amount of time, anybody that's struck for a long amount of time, jujitsu, whatever it may be, you know how to cheat the system. Mm -hmm. I know if I grab somebody's wrist on the feet, That buys me a shitload of energy because I can stall until I feel like I need to explode again. Same thing with jujitsu. You can hold certain positions. Same thing with striking. You can cut certain angles or stay at a certain distance to where you can rest. So that's, that's where I know skill coaches also being a skill coach that you're like, oh no, it's different. It's different because there's so many different variables. There's so many different things. Like they're not actually maximally outputting. Like I can tell a story that when I was a wrestling coach and I'm trying, I, I, it sounds really bad, but like some of our guys, like I just test, I test shit and see like my different hypothesis to see what works. And maybe that's wrong. Maybe that's right, but whatever. So like I was testing, I'm like, well, it makes a lot of sense in conditioning. Like if we do lactate conditioning, you do 30 seconds on with a good amount of break because you want to do that. Wrestling is a very lactate heavy sport. So we did just a minute on a minute off and these guys are feeling like they're not the guys and girls are feeling like they're not working. And that was like that realization moment to me where I'm like, well, fuck, like all these fuckers know how to cheat. <laughs> like, like they're, they're not actually taxing their system as much as they should. So Alex, what, what are some different things you'd say based off of that?
1: Well, I'd say that context plays a huge factor too, because like you said, you're doing minute on minute off and these people have, you know, maybe really no motivation to actually score in the go or they're wrestling at a slow pace or or whatever they just think they're getting some time off i'm gonna jump in so so
0: that's that's a very very good point most of the time in in mma wrestling jujitsu whatever lives at the end of practice people are already fucking tired <laughs> i know like if if you if you know how to drill if you're a good driller which is a skill in itself and most athletes combat athletes can tell you that like you're already tired you're, you're probably at 50% by the time you get to live goes, if, yeah, if you're a
1: good driller. Absolutely. So there's no context there and there's no really, you know, energy, I don't know, substrate maybe, but um, when the motivation is I'm on a bike and I'm sprinting all out and I know that's expected of me, like, and again, you can't hide, you're going to watch somebody sprint on a bike or not, but maybe in the wrestling practice, maybe you say, all right, we're doing, you know, end of the period goes, you know, you need to score a takedown to secure the win or, or something. And that would motivate a higher pace, right? You got to, got to create context to what you're doing to get the elicit, like, or the, um, anticipated behavior or what you want out of the athlete. So that's one way to do it. Um and then, yeah, like you said, just seeing how you can create that context within the situation that you're at if you're in the weight room, if you're in the wrestling room um to get the behavior that you want to get the training effect that you want if and hopefully you have a training effect that you're going after like that's that's the number one if we're just these guys need more live goes, like cool, but like, gotta why? be tougher what, yeah. yeah. What, and that—that's an interesting story I have, um, based on our wrestling background at UW lacrosse so One of the there was a preseason conditioning protocol that we did that was absolutely god awful. So dumb. Every Friday. Was grind match Friday, and it was a good idea in theory. I like thinking back on it; it was progressive, it had a training effect aimed at, but it was just the execution was. Not, it was that exact error that we're talking about right now, where like you think if I give somebody a 15-minute grind match, they're gonna you know push the pace and I don't know uh, create an aerobic base. I guess what ends up happening is one dude dominates for 14 minutes, and you just lay on your stomach on the mat, right? Yep. It's just it's just awful, torture, suffering. And my argument there is that the intensity level is too high. Maybe it should have been 15 minutes of, like, play wrestling or 15 minutes of drilling. Other things that can create a base rather than high-intensity live goes. And we went 15, 20, 25 minutes. I think 30 minutes was our last week before season. 30-minute grind match. Like, I mean, I get the mental toughness aspect, but, like, come on.
0: Well, and I actually – that was a very awesome segue into a point that I just thought of based off of your genius words. Good why? And I know, I know, right. I'm going to pat myself on the shoulder. Oh yeah. Um, why in, in the weight room and in rehab and stuff, like it's important to sometimes have su- not sometimes most of the time have sub-maximal days, hmm why in the fuck is every wrestling practice trying to be maximal effort? That doesn't make sense. Like that's, that's a point that that's a big point that I don't, I feel like right now, right now is when I kind of realized that, but like why every single time you leave wrestling practice, you, you have that expectation to feel like you're dead, but in, in the weight room, like, Most people that work with, I know work with me, but also work with you. Like they realize like, because you explain it well and I explain it well, like, look, every day doesn't need to be a grinder. Every day needs to make you better, better and tired are not synonymous. That's why they're two fucking different words. So mm. why, like in, in wrestling, like why? And in, in not it's not just wrestling. I just, that's where I grew up. That's, yeah. that was my whole culture. That's what I say, but it's every combat sport. Why mm. don't we have submaximal days? Those are the days that you increase technique. Those are the days that you make substantial gains because you can actually comprehend what's going on and not just say, oh, I need to win this go or, oh, I need to be sweatier.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It goes back to, we we talked about like an environmental motivation of winning the go and that that's kind of poisonous or toxic. Um, But also like having that emphasis grinds you down and in the long run, you're working less hard or you're getting less out of it because, you know, maybe week four of every day maxing out, I'm only training at 60% because that's all my body can muster right now. If we plan in some of those rest days or we plan in some lower intensity days, we can train at a higher percentage or more optimally more of the time, which is robustness, right? Which is getting the most out of the program. So programming high and low days, I think is, is huge. Um, And we were talking like, we were just talking before the podcast, like track and field. That's what they do in their sport practice, as well as their strength conditioning. Like there's, there's a very low um, barrier between the two, right? So I think in strength training, perform high performance training, healthcare, for MMA athletes, that barrier needs to kind of get chipped away at. And we need to look at the body as a system undergoing stress, not the body doing this specific thing, right? Because it's exactly what you're talking about earlier, whether I'm wrestling or whether I'm doing, you know, kettlebell um, complexes in the weight room, like both of those things may elicit a lactic stress. Your body, besides more to programming and and knowing technique is really not going to know the distance on a a difference on a physiological level. It's the same stress.
0: Yep. And Like I love, I'm not a huge Kelly Sturek guy, but like he says it so fucking eloquently where he's like, all your brain is doing is it's, it's an input sensor. All it does is take in different inputs. It really doesn't know the difference between all these different stresses. The brain is there to take in inputs and then it sends out outputs and forces you to do certain things based off the inputs. Guess what? That's why, like when we talk about stress and I say the same fucking thing, stress is stress is stress is stress is stress to your brain. It doesn't matter if it's endocrine and endocrine eligible and and, endocrine, your endocrine system has stress or (laughs) physical stretch, mental stress, emotional stress, uh, spiritual stress, all like anything. Stress is stress is stress. Your brain doesn't know the difference and it's going to send out the same fucking outputs.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean your your brain is first and foremost a protective mechanism, right? Like yeah. if if I'm tapped and my body's like, this, you know, live go is gonna be the undoing of me, my body and my brain is gonna automatically say, Well, we're not going that hard, then we're gonna protect our survival rather than die doing this thing. And as tough as I guarantee, as tough as you are, as Whatever badasses you think you are, your brain's going to win in that situation and you're not going to be able to output. I mean, maybe if you're twenty.
0: Endocrinological. that's what I was looking for.
1: Endocrinology,
0: endocrinological,
1: endric. Oh God. All right. This is I saying, <laughs> that you, that you cut out. I, I noticed on the last few podcasts, you didn't cut out when I sounded like an idiot. So you can't, I cut didn't out cut when out
0: you, when eat. Well, I didn't cut out when I sounded like an idiot. So that just means I didn't sell.
1: Like. That's what I'm getting from this. False. Yeah. There's that. <laughs> But, i just
0: decided that i'm only stripping silence and i'm not cutting out any stupid things
1: whatever man i mean it all works i think um that's probably better for the authenticity it makes it sound less polished yeah. which yeah. Neither, neither neither of us are very polished individuals anyway um <laughs> i i would think i'm more polished than austin is but besides the point i am like coal
0: before it gets turned into a diamond that's about how polished. Right, we
1: got to wait about a million years, and then then maybe you'll Ex- do something.
0: Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All
1: right, back to rest intervals. Uh, I mean, we've talked about kind of general rest intervals, and and one thing. I mean, I have to bring up in every conditioning type of talker, and, and I think this is becoming more and more the common uh, teaching in the common places that you can emphasize and um, train more specifically towards an energy system. But it's a myth that you can isolate and only train one energy system. Whatever you're doing, whether it's super low intensity or super high intensity on the other end of the spectrum, all of your energy systems are working in the background at the same time. Like One may be working harder than the other based on the intensity and duration that you have programmed, but they're all working, period. So if I'm doing a six-second sprint, my aerobic system is going to work in the background to keep my low intensity functions happening. If I'm doing a 30 minute run, my creatine phosphate system is going to work initially to get me going. Like that's just physiology 101. Every energy system is working all the time. But that being said, we can emphasize which one we train and based on the strengths and weaknesses we see within the individual athlete. So, that's something you can assess your team at too if Your whole team, you know, with spark plugs and they're really fiery and explosive, but they can't last for the whole five minute round. Then as a team, you can work on your uh, aerobic conditioning, you know, or you have a bunch of wrestlers, a bunch of guys that have grinded through these two and a half hour practices and not a lot of them have this explosive capability. That's also trainable quality. So address that specifically within your team based on what you see.
0: But Alex, that would require coaches to actually sit down and actually assess
1: the skill level of their team assess the skill level, but also know physiology one-on-one and, and go through that. And And I don't mean that as an, a, as a, an attack on skill coaches. Yeah. But, you
0: kind of sound like a dick, right? there.
1: <laughs> but I, in my general experience, skill coaches do not frequently factor in the, uh, energy systems or energy system development. And maybe I sound like an asshole. I don't know. But.
0: No, you're not, you're not wrong. I'm again, I always, I feel like I bring up Santino like, because basically he's like my older brother, but like true that ginger fuck, I have a huge crush on him. <laughs> uh, no, uh, but that's, I I'm in the first situation in my entire life where I have a coach that actually factors in energy systems. I've been wrestling since I was six and I'm 25 now. So in 19 years, this is the first coach I've ever met that factors in energy system training, energy system use, and ener- like the energy systems at all into what's going on. So it's, it's cool to see, but also at the same time, like, well, where the fuck was this when I was an actual athlete and not just a piece of shit, normal person.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you feel like you missed the boat because now you know, all these things. And I think that, and I know for you is that's part of the reason that we're, we became what we are and what we're doing is because we saw the, the pitfalls that they had become yeah. us.
0: Yeah. I went into healthcare to help combat athletes not make the same mistakes I did. Like, that's literally like, and then- I like, you want to talk about like, this is totally off topic. You want to know why I preach to every single one of my athletes to sleep at least eight hours and to not be a shit bag when you eat. Cause, you never did. <laughs> Cause I never did. And my injury or my injuries literally hindered my career. <laughs> like my nutrition, it's not that I'm not a good athlete. My nutrition's what, what fucked my career. So none of my athletes ever will have that happen. I'll make yeah. sure of it. <laughs> and I think,
1: I think me personally too, I, I go to the opposite end of the spectrum. I think as an athlete and very, I don't know, early on, like I was, I was told, you know, you're not as talented as most of these kids. You have to work harder and get it. And so that's what I did. I fucking outworked or I tried to outwork almost everybody. And, you know, I reaped the benefit or the, the downfalls of getting over injured, getting overtrained, blah, blah, blah. And so now I even have this kind of debate in my head is like, am I being too cautious with these athletes? Do I need to push them harder? Like, yeah. because can they handle that? And then I just always revert to looking at like an optimal load type of scheme or looking at what what's actually going to get these athletes better versus just get them tired. And so.
0: Well, and, and that brings up a perfect point to bring it back to the whole point of the podcast is like, it's everything has a range, right? Mm-hmm. Rest intervals. Like they say like, oh, you need, if you're doing, let's say a lactic. Power work, whatever it may be, you're supposed to do at least one to 10 work rest ratio or a one to six work rest ratio. It's not one to 10 or one to six. It's one to 10 or like through one to six. So one to six, one to seven, one to eight, one to 6.27862. Like there's no perfect number it's a it's always a range just like neutral spine if we're talking about like back positioning and and deadlifting it's always a range everything in life isn't black and white everything in life has a little bit of color to it and it's it's there's no perfect answer to one to five one to six it's What's best for that athlete at that point in time, understanding the physiology about what's going
1: on. Yeah, and I, that's the magic you hit on right there is like, what's the best for this athlete based on their readiness and preparedness, right? It's like I can, I can know an athlete and I, I have a couple in my mind that I know are grinders and they're ready to go regardless if their body's ready or if they're mentally on, all the time. So it's, it's not going to do me very good to ask them, you know, are you ready to go? Can you achieve that intensity again? It's going to serve me a lot better to understand their physiological capabilities and then program the rest interval on my own And Right. Right. So it's-
0: like I got a, I got a funny, I got a funny story because it just happened before the podcast and I laughed my ass off and Alex can tell <laughs> you, like I got one of my guys, everybody, I, I feel like I, again, I mentioned Henry a whole bunch, but Henry Corrales, Bellator now one thirty five er. This is like, he literally texted me a minute before I hit record on the podcast. He said, and all he said, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this because I think it's awesome. And I'm so like, I'm pumped to work with him because of it. All he texted me was, Hey, I'm excited to work out with you tomorrow. That's it. LOL. Good night. That's all he said, because that's how excited this man is to get better. I don't need to motivate him. He is so self-motivated. He's the most self-motivated person i ever met. So mm-hmm. my time is better spent elsewhere. My time is better spent focusing on the rest intervals. Like like we always say, like, I need you to be all gas. I'll be your breaks. For somebody like him, who's such a high self-motivator, I need to be his brakes, And I need to make sure he fucking knows why each rest interval is what it is. Because if I don't tell him why he's going to and I've seen it happen, if I don't explain things right, he jumps right into something after 10 seconds of rest because he feels like he's missing out and he feels like he's not getting better. If you don't explain why it's happening, that's going to hinder all of everything we're saying in the transference to your athletes. Cause a lot of MMA and a lot of combat sports, they're self starters. We talk about it. Like not a lot of people are, but disproportionately in a, a uniperson sport in a, in a one person sport and as well as combat sports, where there's so much reliance on yourself there's a lot higher proportion of self-starters and you need to know that going. in. Yeah,
1: ahead. absolutely. hundred percent. You need to spend more time tempering and, and understanding who you're working with the person in front of you, not just their physiological capabilities, but their personality traits, what they're doing, because you know, I'm the same as you as Austin, if, if I've explained something poorly, either you see an athlete, you know, jumping straight into something or an athlete that's get, gets pissed off when they leave because they didn't work hard enough, right? Or or I held them back and it's like, okay, I I didn't hold you back. You still got bent from that workout. I did a poor job explaining why you feel Mm -hmm. that way or why you don't or why you had long rest intervals. So that's the gold right there is explaining the the aims of the training. And, you know, we've had this talk before too. You don't have to go into the X's and O's and explain physiology to your athletes because few of them would be interested in it but at least give some purpose and some why's behind what they're doing so that they better understand their own training goals.
0: Yeah. Like it's, they, they need to know what's going on because athletes like, like Alex said, like I'm an over explainer. Everybody knows I'm an over explainer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I would rather, you know, 120% versus 80%. That that's how I'll always be. But that, that extra 20% might actually hinder that. So trying to find that right range, bringing it back to the main topic and that range of how it's going to benefit your athlete the most that goes to connecting to your athlete too, which I feel is something a lot of, a lot more people need to know your athlete on a personal level, not just, Hey, this dude's a badass fighter.
1: Right. And and I like that you're bringing up ranges and continuums because that's literally how I think. I mean, I used to always think black and white, like this is a good training method. I just is not like you always have to start with an aerobic block and do 30 minute runs. Like you always have to do that now. Now it's like, all right, where's this athlete? What's their baseline? Uh, what can I actually improve with them? Do we need to do an aerobic block or can we just start with strength work? Because maybe this athlete's super in condition and super aerobically fit, but they're weak as a kid right so it it just depends on that and i look at like i said earlier i look at everything on a spectrum and everything on a range and it's how can we line up these dials to get the specific right formula for this athlete and this person so and back to the i think and i have a good example too is like back to the grind match scenario like if we're trying to establish an aerobic brace preseason, aerobic base and we have that duration dialed up to 15 20 25 minutes but then we also have the intensity dialed up to a 10 out of 10. Those things are misaligned. Like it's not going to happen that I'm going to get a high intensity effort for all 25 minutes. That's pretty insane. Right. And may and there is different methodologies out there. And I will throw out uh Joel Jameson's alternate MMA conditioning, which I read quite a while back, and I like his breakdown of uh, each energy system and the capacity versus power method and, and then the different um, things that he has. And maybe I'll post some about that. I have a nice little cheat sheet from it that uh, we created on notes. So um, that's a good resource to start understanding some of those rest interval um, type of ratio.
0: Well, and ratios don't just stay in the strength training world or stay in the skill world ratios also fall into the rehab world too. And that falls into our optimal loading, which is what I wanted to talk about based around rest with rehab is optimal loading is different for every person, right? So what the, what that means and just to go into it, gently is that we want you to move as much as possible and as much pain or with as little pain as possible. Right. So there used to be a saying called rice or price for some, for some people where rest ice, uh, compress elevate are, are the terms. And then we threw that out. And now the term is police, which a lot of people have told me like, Hey, that's probably not the most The best way thing to call it right now, but. Uh, I, which I just laugh at. Uh, but so the the acronym is protect. And then we got rid of the R and threw in an OL for optimally load. Why we want to get rid of rest for most people and throw in optimally load is we know we need to move the, the joint, move the muscles as much as possible. And as pain-free as a range as possible, that's going to give our injuries the highest likelihood of success. That's going to cut down time injured. Um, and that's going to overall give us the highest rate of not re injured that tissue again. So think about the the common example is a sprained ankle. All right. That's everybody's like, Oh, you need to rest, elevate, compress, and then you keep it above your head for fucking 97 days in a row for some stump, dumb reason. Um, instead, what 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 I recommend, what most evidence-based doctors um, and therapists recommend is that instead of just taking two weeks off, taking three weeks off, I want you to walk as normal as possible for as long as possible, literally the day after the end. So take off your splints, get off the crutches, take off the boot, whatever it may be, as long as it's not a full tear. And I want you walking around for say you can take six steps with no pain. Take six steps 10 times a day. Maybe the next day you take eight steps. Maybe the next day you take 10 steps, but we know pumping that joint, getting nutrients to the area, getting the blood flow through the area, forcing it to work and making the brain to muscle and the brain to joint connection increases our recoverability and decreases the amount of time that you're injured. So the biggest thing that I want to change in a lot of the people, everybody's like rest mentality with injuries is unless you were a top of the line, top, top three to five UFC fighters, most of you guys aren't over, overworking your body to the point where you can't walk around. Right. And, and if you're top one to five UFC fighter and you're doing that, you need to change your training, but that's a completely separate issue um, that I don't want to get into. So, but anyways, for the, for the most part, for the 99% optimal loading is going to be what you need as long as you're not overtraining. So getting up, moving around for that top 1% rest is great, but rest only goes so far, just like theraguns only go so far, just like, so rights only go so far, just like everything rest is just another tool. In your toolbox, it is not the entire toolbox. It can't be a whole phase of injury. It needs to be a part of a phase of injury. Two days off are great. A week off, eh? You're taking more than a week off. You kind of fucked up
1: in some way. Yeah, I'm uh, in total agreement with that. And I, I just think about it as in the strength conditioning capacity where I apply this principle and where I can get it, and it's that bridge from. Um, rehab to performance care to that, that where rehab gets you to about 30%, we need strength and conditioning get from 30 to a hundred, right? Or performance care will get you the whole way there. But what I think about with optimal loading, and I specifically have a, a, an influence to work with, you know, low back pain. And when I think about that, it's like I need to get this person breathing, bracing, and stabilizing correctly through their core. And then I need to understand how long they can do that. Yeah. And for a lot of people with low back pain, it's ridiculously low amounts of time. Like yeah. maybe like eight reps on a kettlebell deadlift. And then 20 second
0: plank. That's that's something I see all the time.
1: And then they're fatigued. And like, yes, they can keep doing the deadlifts. Yes, they can keep planking, but it's in a compensatory fashion and they're going to keep getting hurt from that. And and it's, it's better off not doing it because that's over the end of optimal loading. It's better off expanding that optimal, um, optimal time or getting that optimal time longer. Right. So as a strength and conditioning coach, what I see a lot of low back pain happening and a lot of, you know, uh, it happens on whatever your compound lifts that you're doing or whatever it doesn't usually happen in the warmups or the first sets. It happens on the third or fourth sets when coaches are starting to yell and saying, you just need to be harder. You need to keep going, right? And it's it's not that, that athlete's soft. It's the athlete's legitimately in pain because they're too fatigued and their actual postural muscles are their good stabiliz- stabilizing patterns. And then they compensate because they're tired. And then we keep pushing them and then we get in, right? So recognizing that optimal loading. I guess from a strength and conditioning standpoint.
0: Well, and and as somebody that that does kind of fit both hats, like I use optimal loading as the base to my functional capacity work. Like that's yeah. that, that's literally what I do. Like I I optimally load and then guess what? Then I'm going to focus on everything else in the body while you're doing that movement. And then I'm going to focus on after after I focus on everything else in the body, how can we benefit both of just good positioning in general in a pain-free range of motion and try to make it as generalizable and as big, as high of a capacity as possible, yeah. getting as close to your absolute capacity as possible. That's literally that's, that's my, like, I've never actually verbalized that that's my rehab to performance continuum. It's yeah. optimal loading, functional capacity, and then closing in functional capacity and increasing the threshold.
1: Yeah. Closing that gap between the functional and the optimal end and the absolute right. And I, yeah. man, I have so many athletes get pissed off at me Um because I cut that we do, um, right now we're in the middle of an APRE phase. So it's, it's essentially doing max reps on your strength sets of things. And I cut athletes after like three set or three reps and the athlete like gets pissed off. It's like, you're not letting me work hard. I could have done 12 of those. I was like, yeah, but they started looking shitty at the fourth rep. Like, and like, again, it's just where the athletes are so indoctrinated into that, you know, work, work, work mentality when it's, It's really like, um, and this is a good summary point for the whole podcast. It's you know the goal is to get better, not to get tired. Like,
0: yeah, that's. I hope you use that as the soundbite, and then you also include this. I'm gonna have to (laughs) cut. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, dude, it's it's that's a saying I love. It's better and tougher or better and harder are not there's a reason why they're separate words they're not synonymous Mm -hmm. that's what we got for rest periods and whether it's rehab or strength conditioning or skill work whatever it may be dietetics if you will which we didn't touch on um, you need rest periods they're important so if you got any questions on rest periods hit us up at our instagram or at building a fighter or personally at our Instagram handles or emails, which are in the show notes.
1: I'm thinking about nutrition right now is is a rest period for nutrition. Is that a cheat meal? Is that what, yeah, that is? that's okay. what
0: I, yeah, that's what I was getting at. All right. Yeah. Well. Sorry. I thought that was obvious, but I'm glad you said that.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, sometimes <laughs> I need to think through things and verbalize. Yeah. Them.
0: yeah that's what I was getting at is cheat meals <laughs> and the 80, the 80, 20 rules and all the stuff, the base level of nutrition I learned, but um As always, that's what we got. Um, Like, share, subscribe. We appreciate everything that you guys do. We love y'all, and we love talking to all those cool people that listen. So this is Building a Fighter and Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Friedman. And we are out.